Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association, or as uh, Joe Chupik would say, uh, what are we? Uh, what are we? Major now? League of AWA podcasts. There we go. Border, border, border to border. See, now, I, I, I say self-proclaimed, but Mick said that I can't say self-proclaimed no more because other people say it. So if other people say it, then it's got to be true. So Absolutely. I'm, you know, I self-proclaim that you can continue using it. Well, I'm going to self-proclaim that I'm going to self-proclaim myself the self-proclaimer. You, you, you do a very good job of self-proclaiming yourself, just... You know, you got to get out of the bathroom more often. You have other people that you live with. Well, and my daughter just gave me a weird look like she thought that I had like two heads. What? I can say self-proclaimed, can I? <laughs> now she's, now she's You've living. got a daughter. Right, everybody. Cats. <laughs> yeah. Look, cats cats I, and kids. I and... wrestling action figures. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Cheap blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'll talk about your uh, your action figures later. Hey, one thing we do want to uh, tell you guys about a um, couple of things. Number one, you see the subscribe button, hit it. Just please do it. I'm begging you, please do it. Please hit the subscribe. Even if you don't like us, even if you don't want to watch the video, we don't care if you watch the video. Just hit the subscribe button and then you can ignore us, okay? I mean, I understand. But if you want to watch the video, that's great, too, because we try and entertain and inform. So, yeah, subscribe, like, rate, review. Just kind of, you know, it, it helps us grow. And it's kind of the, the number one way that, that, can, uh, that can really help us kind of, you know, amp things up. Uh, number two, we do have a, uh, a Facebook page. And I have not been doing a very good job plugging this, you guys. So I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm going to put the YouTube uh, thing down there. But we have an AWA Unleashed fans page. And Brian and Jeremy and Brandon do a great job of oh, moderating that. Uh, Joe, I think you're an admin. Mick, you're an admin. I'm an admin. Uh, just get on there. We have some AWA discussion. There's kind of complimentary uh, video pieces that go along with some of the content that we have. So it's kind of a complimentary piece uh, that supplements the podcast. So uh, that's kind of the the promotional stuff that I want to get out of the way. Did I? That that seem okay? It does seem okay, and this is going to be going to be a very interesting show. We got some real good feedback uh, this week with our topic: the per, the most annoying wrestlers to the to the viewers. And is it wrestlers uh, or is it personality? Yeah, I, I thought it was personalities, but it. I mean, well, I, I guess I, maybe I misunderstood the assignment here. Well, as I'm as I'm looking at the the list of what we got. Yeah. Um, it's wrestlers. Okay. So th that was primarily what, what came in. Well, now I know. Um, God knows me. if we had personalities, Chupik and I would be, you know, running away with the. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. When it said personalities, I was fully expecting somebody to put Mick Karch and Joe Chupik's name in there. Oh, they would have. Yeah, I, I thought I really, when I saw the list, I'm like, yep. Something doesn't seem right. So. Well, so this podcast is two-thirds irritating personalities and one-third me. Oh, I, 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 I could throw something in there, but I won't. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> Come on. The, 
Bring it to me. The the criteria for for this show uh, was basically there was no criteria. If if a wrestler irritated you, either his in-ring style, uh, his promo style, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. if he was the one guy that you just took a bathroom break uh, when he came on, we wanted to hear about it. Uh, A few of the guys got more votes or more mentions than others. Uh, Some were pretty obvious. Some were pretty surprising. Um, When we can, we will acknowledge the person who submitted uh, the wrestler, and we will also give their reasoning if they provided one. So good stuff. It's completely completely subjective, too, which I love. Like these subjective, there's no right, there's no wrong. This is how fellow fans view some of these wrestlers. That's exactly it. So if you disagree... Hey, that's that's fine. We might disagree with uh, with who we hear, and we might agree. But uh, again, I love the subjective part of it. Wide open. Well, before we get into it, though, Mick, I believe we have a happy birthday to wish to an AWA legend. So, oh. who you got? We do. Uh, you know, on the thirteenth, this man celebrated his seventy fourth birthday, and I'm telling you, he. <laughs> 74 you could how about 47 uh to our good friend jumping jimmy brunzel uh jim we love you buddy uh your podcast the one you were on was still one of the most watched and revered that we've had want to get you back on again but the uh, the high flyer himself uh jumping jimmy you know before we get on to the list i want to uh, bring up something on social media in fact uh uh, I'll be able to give uh, one of our admins a little shot here. Uh, Jeremy Chura, he had posted happy birthday to Greg Ganya in uh, July. Yeah. Greg's birthday is not in July. It is November 27th. <laughs> um, now, here's the, here's the thing. So I talked to Greg. So I texted him. Maybe it's Greg Gagne. Maybe he's talking about the old twin shortstop. And that's exactly it. Somebody Googled. Somebody must have Googled when they did the Wikipedia page, Greg Gagne. And they saw Greg Gagne's birthday for Greg Gagne. So I texted Greg. I go, happy birthday, Greg Gagne, not Gagne. I texted yeah. Happy birthday with the question mark, and I know yeah. the internet strikes again. So, talk you know, to him this week, and we don't laugh. You know who else goes through that? Uh, Baron. Baron. They always get the Baron's birthday wrong. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure what it is anymore. Um, but nonetheless, uh, well, how, yeah, how do you how do you get those records though? I mean, I thought they were under lock and key in Germany. <laughs> I didn't think those records were public. Yeah, yeah. is that Germany, Nebraska? <laughs> 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 All right, I think we have a show to do, don't we? Yeah, um, so let's get into it. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's get into it because this is going to be the last show we're going to do for a couple of weeks. So let's. Uh, no, no, second to the last. Second to the last. I'm sorry, we got one more coming up. So. Yeah, we're going to take a couple of weeks off, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, but uh, we'll so, get to that later on. All right, Joe. I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you handle it, and I'm gonna be in lockstep with uh, some of this stuff. So go for it. Okay. So as we've discussed, this episode is about the most annoying personalities in the AWA, 
just so happens that they were all professional wrestlers. Our first submission is from Tracy Ann Scott. And Tracy didn't care or doesn't care for Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. You know, this, this was a very interesting, I looked at it and I thought, you know what, why, why Steve? Uh, you know, Mr. Electricity, of course, and uh, one half of the former AWA Tag Team Champions. Uh, the, the reasons that Tracy gave me were he gave monotone interviews on television, never got real fired up, and she just didn't understand the level of the push, as it were, that Steve Regal got in the AWA. Now, my personal feeling, I think Steve Regal was underrated. I don't know about the, his promotional style. He never really caught fire, uh, you know, in, in terms of getting animated in promos. But I think from his in-ring uh, performance was stellar. And uh, I think he's one of the underrated guys in, in the AWA. But that's not my call. So uh, if Steve Regal is number, is number one on the, uh, on the list. You know, I, I have to agree with both of you. Tracy was right. Steve's promos were monotone, but that's why he was paired initially with Jesse the Body Ventura, who we all know was, shall we just say, a very good mouthpiece. In fact, Steve could wrestle, Jesse not so much. Jesse could talk, Steve not so much. So they worked so well together because they complemented each other. Exactly. And it was the same thing um, pairing him with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and their mm -hmm. manager S. Precious in that flipping uh, air freshener can. Uh, by the way, it, it was real air freshener and it smelled good, but Patty didn't need that. All he had to do is look at her and she was a very very nice and attractive uh, a woman. Still is. Okay. Focus, focus, Joe. I, yeah, focus, focus. But no, you're 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 both right. Uh, Steve could work in the ring, and uh, he deserved his push against uh, the Boombox guy for the light heavyweight or the was it, yeah light heavyweight championship. Yep, that's what it was. But look and, at that look at that jacket and the headband though that he wore in WWF. Did he kind of did he amp up his his swag his drip when he got to WWF? He, he had that same glitz here when yeah, he was he with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Um, and I think they gave the belt to Garvin and Regal. In fact, I've told the story before. That was my very first interview that I ever did was when Garvin and Regal won the belts from the Road Warriors with the help of the dastardly Freebirds, of course. But they gave him the belts. I'm just thinking they needed to get generate some heat. It was fall time, fall of uh, 85. And so... They, they dropped the belts on Garvin and Regal, and they had a nice little run. So thank you, Tracy, for the uh, for the submission. Yeah, so I'm before I ramble on any further, the next one, Chris Williams. And we just got ton, done talking about this guy. He thought that Jesse the Body Ventura was a, the, one of the most annoying personalities. Well... He wasn't alone um, because we did have more people that said Jesse the body. And really, Joe, it was for the same reasons. These are some pretty astute wrestling fans. 
that are sending in these submissions. And it was for the exact same reason that you had mentioned just a minute ago. They thought Jesse was a great talker. There was no problem with his promos. Although a couple of people said, hey, sometimes they were over the top and he paid more attention to me and Gene than, you know, putting over his opponent. Um, but there was always the knock on Jesse's in-ring ability. And, you know, Jesse didn't have to do a lot when you had a Steve Regal as your partner or you had an Adrian Adonis in his prime as your partner. Jesse was the phenomenal mouthpiece. Uh, he sold the tickets. He got the asses in the seats. Uh, in the ring, if you look at some of the, the bumps that Je Jesse took over the years, yeah, well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> a, a little bit sloppy, a little bit uncoordinated once in a while. But, uh, again, an interesting pick from Chris Williams, Jesse the Body. I, I, again, I agree with the, the assessment. Um, there's a reason that Jesse was paired with, with uh, others that could wrestle uh, and one that we forgot um, in between. Actually, he would have been, can't remember if he was with Mr. Electricity before this or not, but uh, Mr. Saito, the Far East-West connection. Far East-West connection. And then, of course, Mr. Saito had to take a little hiatus from the AWA uh, for, a, for a little while. Uh, and as Jesse said, you know, he's the only wrestler in history that trained by having people hit him with billy clubs. But, uh, <laughs> but needless to say, uh, and again, I, I want to emphasize, we asked your personal opinion why you were annoyed by a particular wrestler. And, you know, certainly, you know, the, the diehard believers were really annoyed by Jesse Ventura. Uh but, uh, but again, Chris Williams, thank you very much. So starting off with Regal and Ventura is very interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, I've seen the list, and uh, at the end I'll have a, a comment, uh, an additional comment as to why I think a lot of these uh, wrestlers were listed as the most annoying. But before we get into that, this next one on the list, um, I, I don't know that I'd say annoying as much as just bad. This one is from Greg Serrata. And in many polls, people have agreed that this man, oh. Rocky Mountain Thunder, was the most annoying. I'm going to go with just the worst. He might even be tied for another guy that we'll get into later. But Mick, Rocky Mountain Thunder. The good thing about Rocky Mountain Thunder, if there is a good thing, is that he didn't stick around very long. Um, this guy was absolutely horrid. Uh, from what I understand, he uh, his, his training, such as it was, uh, was not very extensive. And he, God knows you can see that watching him in the ring. Uh, Greg said he's annoyed by Rocky Mountain Thunder. I think that's, a, that's putting it mild. Um, I think more just horrified by Rocky Mountain Thunder. Uh, I have a, uh, a video posted on my Slick Mick page right now of a match that Rocky Mountain Thunder had with a fellow by the name of the Surfer or Surfer Joe or something mm -hmm. uh, in a in Las Vegas, and he damn near killed this kid. Uh, first of all, they couldn't get they couldn't mesh. the The match was horrible. Well, he couldn't even get him to lock up. I mean, you yeah. couldn't. It, it, there was the slam 
And that was it. I, and I just off of that little clip, but it was just so Chris I mean, out, of, if, out of control. Take a look at that backbreaker or whatever the hell he delivered to this. I, I saw it. It, it, oh. it. it scared the hell out of me. He, I, 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 if he would have been allowed to continue to wrestle, I really believe Rocky Mountain Thunder would have paralyzed, if not done even worse, to somebody in the ring. Watching him wrestle, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, reminds me of one of my boys' weekends up in northern Minnesota. You have two tree kegs of beer, and then you start or start wrestling. I've seen better wrestling done in a yard, a bunch of drunk guys, than what I saw with Rocky mm -hmm. Mountain Thunder in the ring. It's that Somebody simple. asked me, how come Vern let that happen? And... Joe, I, I think he can attest to this. In we know Vern was looking for a big guy, we, we know that, but a lot of times Vern didn't pay attention. You know, I mean, it, it was kind of like like Greg would run this and that and the other thing. I mean, I, I remember I I talked to Vern a couple of times about something that was going on even then, and Vern said, "Are we doing that?" You know, I I didn't know. I'll have to check with Greg. I'll have to check with Wahoo. Um, Hopefully, Rocky Mountain Thunder's exodus from the AWA was as a result of the light bulb going off in Vern's head. How, how um, did he ever get to that point? I mean, did he did Vern not vet the talent when they came in? I mean, did he not? I, I mean, I know like VHS and stuff that was kind of hard to get some sort of tape on somebody, but like, how does somebody get to that point and you realize that he's a danger to people that he's working with? You got to keep in mind what the AWA and Vern was going through. And in the case of Rocky Mountain Thunder, it was uh, closer to the beginning of the end than near the end of the end. But there was a level of desperation. The, the talent, a lot of the talent that they brought in to try was a desperate attempt at yeah. somebody getting over somebody that would actually be the next Hulk Hogan. Uh, as far but I mean, as my God, not yet. Yeah, not at, not at the cause or the risk of almost killing somebody though. Well, if you think, look at Hulk Hogan in his early days at the AWA. Now he was better than Rocky mountain. Thunder, oh my God. World's better. But Hogan in the beginning, uh, had issues cutting a promo. Yeah. Um, his in-ring ability uh, earlier on was not that fantastic. Um, I mean, come on. The leg drop is probably the second worst finishing move in the AWA next to the Crusher's Bolo Punch. And for the Crusher fans, he was my favorite too. But anyway, it, yeah. it, was, a it was a desperate ploy for the AWA. A lot of the guys that you saw coming in, I would say later 87 and beyond, was just a body to put into the ring to fill up TV time. Well, he, he certainly did that. And again, thank God he got his uh, his walking papers very, very soon. Mike Moran, our good friend, Texas Hangman, uh, Mike Moran said this guy was probably the worst wrestler he had ever been in the ring with and I, I don't think there's any question about it so let's move on from the Rocky Mountains to another climate so 
Brian, Brian Leonard submits our next one. Now, this guy could indeed wrestle, and we brought him up earlier in the show. Adorable Adrian Adonis. Here's the thing. I, I, the reference was made to the latter Adrian Adonis, not the Adrian Adonis to the left of the screen, but the Adrian Adonis that kind of carried his WWF persona into the AWA. And I, I think that's who is being referred to here. Um, what what I what I was told in the in the memo in the email was this guy had been so talented early on in the AWA and he almost became a parody of even what he had done in the WWF. Now, having said that, for me, he had his moments with Tommy Rich, uh, you know, and uh, having Paul Paul Heyman as his manager was certainly you know a plus, but. But uh, the the listener, the viewer, was very much turned off by, I think, what had happened with Adrian Adonis, more so than Adrian himself. Yeah, I, think, I don't think he was the only one that thought that way. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I wasn't one of those. And as I alluded to earlier, I'll have a comment about many of the wrestlers on this page. But... That's for later on. Let's move on to our next one. James Lawrence III. um, Didn't care for a guy that was managed by Ox Baker. And I'm going (laughs) to, James, I'm going to agree with you. The Russian brute. What James said in the email you can't dispute it all. He said, first of all, the Russian brute may have been the least believable Russian in the history of wrestling. I mean, you talk about your Ivan Koloffs, your Nikita Koloffs, <laughs> you know. I mean, e- even going on to my friend Jim Lanning, Soldat Ustinov, and, and uh, Boris Zukov, uh, I don't think there was anything believable about, you know, this guy coming from Moscow or Kiev or wherever. Um, also, he had Ox Baker in his corner, and thus he was using Ox's fabled heart punch. Here's the reality of it. In the AWA, Ox Baker was kind of a non-entity. In the WWA, in the Chicago area, in Bruiser's territory or elsewhere in the country, his heart punch was a really big deal. By the time Ox came into the AWA and was managing the Russian brute George Petresky, God bless his soul, uh, nobody really knew the hard punch. And, and John Studd had used it, you know, to great effect. So here you got a guy who, at best, doesn't even sound like a Russian. He's using a hard punch that nobody gives a shit about. And uh, personality-wise, it, it just didn't work. I like George on a personal level. Mm-hmm but I could see where he would be an annoying personality. And, 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 once, and once once John Studd uses it, like anybody else that uses it, it's not going to be nearly as believable or effective. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and the Russian Brutes overall in ring ability. Eh, I, never, I, I never heard him cut a, a, a promo. I mean, did he just have a... Did he just have a bad Russian accent? Did he sound Norwegian? I mean, what was his? What was <laughs> he, his? What was he his tried a like? couple of uh, Russian words? I don't know if it was "niet" or 
caviar or whatever. Uh, yeah. Basically, Ox Baker was his mouthpiece. And as I recall, good old George would stand in the background rubbing his taped fist uh, in a threatening manner about the about the hard punch. So, yeah, there, there's no question about it in the scheme of things. In the mm -hmm. dying days of the okay. AWA, this was not a good fit. Da Tovarich, da. Yes, sir. On to our next submission. Sue Silver did not care for one half of the tag team that we named Initial Shock. He partnered with DJ, DJ Peterson, and we are talking about J.T. Southern. First of all, I don't remember that young lady accompanying JT to the ring in the AWA. Uh, maybe you do, Joe. I don't. I may have appreciated him a little bit more. Uh, JT Southern. You know, are you appreciating him or are you appreciating her? Let's just go. Well, trust me, it's, it's her. Um, JT and DJ, of the two of them, DJ had wrestling skill. He had ability. He had a personality. He had fire in the ring. Uh, J.T. Southern was kind of like your Van Hammer uh, back in the day. He had the, uh, the rock star 1980s look going for him, but that was about it. And uh, in other parts of the country, I think he went over a little bit better. Uh, don't forget, J.T. Southern was the guy that Vern wanted to immediately fire uh, in, right in the middle of a battle royal in Whitewater, Wisconsin, for using a, a drop toe hold or a side headlock or something, uh, right in the middle of a battle royal. Uh, JT Southern, uh, I get it. I get it. Was it Sue? Sue Silver? Uh, I, I completely get it. And, uh, you know, he might have been a great, great, you know, standing in the background for Van Halen or something, but in the ring, eh -eh. Got along just fine with JT, but yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. He just, uh, I don't know, just didn't click for nope. many, including myself. I, I can't believe we just had a Van Hammer, like 1991 WCW reference on what this show. What, what do you expect when I'm out here? You're lucky you don't get an Abe Lincoln reference. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I, I see, I dig the hair. I dig the look. He just looks like somebody I want to punch in the face. Was he... Anyway, but yeah, yeah I, it was it, he, I, I, it was good. He was kind of an over-the-top character. Yeah, and, yeah, he uh, was. And it just didn't work. It, no. it just did too not much, fly. Too, too over the top? Yep, yep. Okay. In and out. Gone. Well, perfect segue into our next talent. Ken Peterson submitted, and this gimmick was a bit over the top. Um, I, I guess it's better. They could have given this guy a, uh, a leaping Lanny, a leaping Lanny Poffel persona, but instead they gave it the surfer, Tommy Jammer. Tommy Jammer, nice guy uh, from right here, uh, just in the Twin City suburban area. I think they called him the California Kid, uh, Tommy Jammer, and. The reasons that I got through the email were basically there wasn't a lot of fire in Tommy Jammer either. And he seemed to be just kind of a dynamic dude's knockoff, uh, you know, uh, Shane Douglas and, and uh, John, uh, John Laurinaitis or whoever yeah. um, came to the ring with the surfboard. Uh, I think it was another attempt by the AWA kind of 
picking up on the coattails of who is doing what elsewhere and doing it successfully. Uh, Tommy Jammer was just kind of there. You know, he, uh, he not a not a bad worker, certainly not a great worker. Uh, but I, I can understand where, you know, back in the day, you're watching AWA TV and Tommy Jammer comes on and ho-hum. Uh, from a personal level, again, I like the guy. Worked for Eddie Sharkey's promotion. But when he made it to the big stage, didn't quite get there. So, uh, I'm sorry, Joe, go ahead, because then no. I had a question about that. So you're, you know, you mentioned Van Hammer and, you know, the dynamic dudes, of course, coming to the ring at skateboards and, and WCW. And I know this is an AWA podcast, but at this point in, in the AWA, you mentioned that it just kind of seemed like a knockoff. Were you guys actively watching what was going on in the WWF and WCW and, and saying, okay, if they've got something that works, then we want to try and copy it. Was that like a conscious decision Were they worried about, how that would come across or was it like we just we need something that's going to pop from my personal perspective chris i was doing yeah. snr so we carried yeah. wcw so you know i got a chance to see these guys all yeah the time. yeah yeah like your perception on it like yeah um i i i think they were just trying to see if they could coattail on mm -hmm. something that was working elsewhere um and and it Sad to say, so much of what the AWA did back then just seemed like a cheap knockoff. Um, at that point, sad to say, they seemed like a, uh, not a minor league promotion, but definitely not top tier in a lot of levels. And people who had access to watching the NWA or watching WWF would look at the AWA and say, hey, I know what they're trying to do here, but there was no luster. There was no, there was no meat on the ball. Did, did that, did that bother you? I mean, you know, being part of the AWA and, and SNR, and I guess, Joe, you can jump in here too. Did that bother you that it, it looked like an, obviously a cheap knockoff of what was working someplace else. And it wasn't something original like that, like, like that, that would reflect poorly on the AWA at that point is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and you know what? At that point, everything bothered me about what the AWA was doing. It, it, was, it bothered me from a personal... I was sad. I was very sad and depressed to see the demise of the AWA. And you knew damn well when some of these knockoffs came in, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, JT Southern or any... You knew what the plan was. Even Rocky Mountain Thunder, you know, that even bringing him in. Vern wanted a big guy. He wanted the next Hulk Hogan, you yeah. know, and he, and he got a boil on the ass of wrestling instead. Uh, but, yeah, personally, it, it bothered me. Uh, but the comparison, I think, was obvious. Yeah, in the case of Tommy Jammer, good-looking guy, um, great physique. He could wrestle. I always got the sense that Tommy was just uncomfortable in front of the camera. He, his promos, he looked like a, the proverbial deer in the headlights. And even in the ring, he just never appeared to me to be comfortable. Now, whether that was being in front of an audience in general, whether that was uh, having the cameras there, it just, it, he just couldn't get past that. I never got the sense that he felt that he belonged in the ring. 
Joe, I, I think if you look back on it, and again, thank you for the uh, for the Tommy Jamber submission. Um, so many of the guys that were coming in were from Eddie Sharkey's group, and this is not to denigrate Eddie at all, because at Robers and Fridley or whatever, these guys were over huge, and Tommy Jammer and and uh, you know Derek Dukes and and guys like that were over, even Jerry Lynn to an extent were, were over, but. When they got to that big stage and that national audience coming right from the indies into the pros, uh, it just didn't work. And again, Tommy Jammer, Tommy Jammer, uh, Tom Walsh, nice guy, great guy, but uh, he appeared to be an indie guy that was suddenly thrust onto the main stage. Uncomfortably so. Yep. Let's get comfortable and let's go on to our next one. This one is by Bruce Anderson and... Outside of one thing that this guy could do, everything about him annoyed the living shit out of me. And the one thing that this guy could do was rip open phone books. We're talking about the man who bought the AWA championship, Otto Vance. The $50,000 man. Uh, when I have talked about Otto on previous podcasts, some of the wrestlers who worked with him elsewhere have come to his defense and they've said, you know, over in Europe or Germany or Austria or whatever, he was over huge. He was a megastar and he was, but for me personally, I, I always saw Otto Vance as just kind of this clumsy, how did this happen? How are you the champion? And, and when you got a Bachwinkle, you know, who was the former champion. And you got the Ganyas and the Crushers and the Vachans. And then all of a sudden, Otto Vance comes in there. And like you said, he tore up phone books and he did the uh, the rolling somersault for his finish. Uh, that was about it. I didn't get it. And uh, Bruce Anderson didn't get it. And a lot of people didn't get it. Um, it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, his run as the AWA champion. Well, fortunately, it was a very short run I, I, his $50,000 acquisition of the EWA championship probably came out to what about uh, 12 five a month because he did not have that title for very long so <laughs> I, I, is Otto Vance is that the most shocking title win in AWA history oh boy um might be uh, you know for, from a singles championship perspective because because I, I i think about like him compared to nick and it just it seems like they're just two different like completely different levels and it it, it would have just came out of nowhere so i was just trying to think like yeah. in your perspective does anything else like is anything else above that in terms of something that was completely unexpected? No, no. I, you know, maybe the Garvin Regal beating the Road Warriors for the tag team title kind of came out of nowhere. But for a singles title, I, you know, I'm shooting pictures at ringside. I was blown away. Mm -hmm. I never expected Otto Vance. I figured you got Bobby Heenan at ringside. You're going to have interference, and it's just another title defense for Nick. Well, and, and you had you had brought up the Garvin Regal. Uh, defeating the Road Warriors, at least that involved outside interference with the, yeah. with the Freebirds. But I remember Nick just sort of smiling when I would ask him about that Autobahn's championship. He did it because it was 
part of the business. I mean, whether he liked it or not, it was just something that Vern asked him to do and Vern got a chunk of money. Uh, you know, whether Nick got a little taste of that, I, that I don't know. And, you know, who knows, but well, I agree. If, with if, if Bruce Anderson is upset by it, you can imagine how Bobby Heenan felt because he was totally kayfabe on the deal too. So yeah, uh, interesting, uh, but totally agree with you, Bruce. Uh, Otto Vance was, uh, please turn the channel. You know, our next guy, we've made it a point to not bring up his name. Um, but Al Nichols and Jerry Moniz? I believe so. Um, they, they didn't care for the boombox guy, as we like to call him. And I definitely understand and agree with that. Ah! understand and agree with them on this one annoying as hell and once i got to know him um it, i have to say it extended beyond annoyance to downright disdain well you mentioned al nichols and jerry Moniz. Uh, al just basically one sentence you know i don't have to say anymore this is the guy uh jerry was a little more detailed he said he did not like the personality he didn't like the over-the-top on TV. He felt it was forced um, to say nothing of his legal problems later on. Yeah. Uh, he just didn't like him right out of the box, right out of the get-go. He didn't again, like him right I, out of the boombox, then, is what you're saying. Right out of the boombox, yes, but a boombox. Um, but, but I think, again, Jerry, I think, is being kind, and I think Al Nichols is being kind. Annoying is not the word. Um, as you look back in hindsight, there are a lot of words that you could come up with a lot of descriptors. I think annoying would probably be a compliment, you know, at, at this point. So I certainly get it. And there were a lot of people, by the way, mm -hmm. who submitted the very same name. So the, these guys are not alone. It seems to be a universal feeling. I, I don't really even want to add anything more to it. So, Chris, unless you or Mick have anything more, I'd like to get no. on to the next one. No, I, I'd like to punch him in the face, but, you know. That, that's you not you and many others. Our next one is submitted by David Cieslinski. Sorry, I'm Polish, and I'm having even a difficult <laughs> time with that one. He didn't care for the Nasty Boys. Very, very interesting call. I, I saw that, you know, and I I added it to our list uh, just because we wanted to show everybody a variety of who appealed to who. Uh, David's basic feeling about the Nasty Boys, he said he didn't like them individually uh, when they would wrestle singles matches. He didn't like them as a tag team. He didn't like their on-air persona. Uh, just one of those things. And... He said, I might be in the minority. This is David's quote. He said, I might be in the minority because they certainly got over and they were certainly in the AWA for an extended period of time. He said, they just were not my personal cup of tea. Tough to argue against that. I personally enjoyed uh, <laughs> the Nasty Boys. Uh, Jerry and Brian were two, uh, two, two guys who... Really? I don't think they ever fully grew up. <laughs> they, they enjoyed to have their fun, and yeah, there's some, some 
behind the scenes stories with the nasties, uh, even later on, uh, going into the early 2000s that I won't get into now, but I, David, I it's subjective. you know, it's subjective. There's yeah. no right, there's no wrong. And yeah, the easiest job in the world is to be a critic. You're yep. never wrong. There you so go. I, I will concede that, but I enjoyed the nasties, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I did, I did too. Like I, I enjoyed them, but maybe again, as as a kid, I enjoyed them because they were just these personalities. Like I wanted the, I wanted the the personalities. Like the quality of wrestling to me didn't matter because I was a kid. And I just wanted to, I, I wanted people that I could watch on my TV and be entertained and enjoy. And I, I enjoyed them. So, I, yeah, I can't. Maybe, maybe Jerry didn't like the armpit stuff or, you know, I, it's, you know. That's true. Yeah, I could it understand. Could be there. I, I, I don't know. Anyway. It was, na- it was nasty. It was nasty. Our, oh, I, I got that, Chris. Nice little pun. Next one. <sighs> Jumpin' Gene Marsh. Before we get into who annoyed him, I I do sort of get it. I I, I do. But I think at the same time, in a lot of ways, he was underrated. He, He was small. I mean, I was bigger than this guy when I got, when I, when I first met him, I'm like, well, shit, if you could be a wrestler, I could. But getting inside those four turnbuckles and those ropes, I, I couldn't do what he did. Talking about the son of the owner. We're talking about Greg Ganya, not Greg Gagne. You would be surprised how many people emailed and said Greg Ganya. And it's always the same thing. It, it's always the same set of reasons why. Uh, he was the promoter's son. He was the owner's son. If he went to another territory, he wouldn't get over. Uh, everything that he did in the ring was not credible if he was tossing a bruiser Brody around. This guy couldn't wrestle. Jim Brunsell carried him. Uh, small guy in size. You know what? Greg Gagne, to me, was one of the best workers in the 70s and the 80s. And, you know, you look around the wrestling today at the guys in the physiques. I mean, you got Rey Mysterio, five foot four. You know, uh, back in the day, you had Kendall Wyndham. Bob Orton Jr. was lanky, but he certainly, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't a, a big muscle guy. Uh, I think it all came down to Greg allegedly getting his push because of Vern. Uh, would Greg Gagne have made it to the level that he did in the AWA someplace else? Probably not. But by the same token, I think he would have he would have done well for himself uh, in the AWA. I don't, you know, Nick Bockwinkle said Greg it was a night off getting in the ring with Greg mm-hmm. Gagne. He was that good. He was that smooth. And damn it, if Nick Bockwinkle says so, I'm going to go along with that. I thought Greg was a hell of a worker. And Nick, or Nick, Greg could sell. There was that believability. And when tagged with Jim Brunzel, I'm going to put them in, in, I don't know, at the very top, but they deserve their their place as one of the great tag teams of professional wrestling history. So did did you guys get the feeling, like, when Greg was at his peak that people were 
like there was some sort of backlash because he was the son or is this now hindsight being 2020? I think when Greg was at his peak, I mean, he had his detractors, Chris, but he was so over. I mean, when the yeah. high flyers would wrestle Adonis and Ventura or they would wrestle the Sheiks or whatever, they're selling out the Civic Center. Yeah, say that's, that, yeah that, that, that's, what I, that's what I don't get based, yeah, on what, yeah. based on what I remember. I don't remember the the backlash. I mean, I can understand it now, but like at the time, it's like he was, I mean, he was the white me baby face. Like people loved him here. The, the backlash, I think, towards Greg started to increase in the latter years. Um, you yeah. know, it, it was always, you know, well, at least Vern didn't give him the heavyweight championship. Okay, you know what? That was probably a very smart move on Vern's part. Uh, you know, he gave him the international TV title for whatever that amounted to, gave him the tag team title. Later on, as you're approaching the late 1980s, and now you're starting the, you know, the national expansion, now you got the comparisons. And they're bringing in Ronnie Garvin for Super Clash. Then all of a sudden, now Greg Gagne, you know, in some circles, is persona non grata. I don't understand it, and I will stay to the very end. Greg Gagne was one of the best workers of the 1970s and 80s. I think the disdain really started to pick up when he went to Camp Slaughter, and he, yes. Sergeant Slaughter, came in. Greg did this a series of vignettes of being at Camp Slaughter's horrible camp. It, it, that was a low point in Greg's career, in my opinion. But it didn't change that he was a fantastic worker. And I'm going to go back to, and, and my last words on this, I'm going to go back to what we had talked about, I think it was on uh, last week's episode, about how I really still think having Greg Gagne turn heel and have Vern turn heel because of it and manage it, not going to save the AWA, just would have been something different. But yeah, um, Gene, you deserve your opinion. We'll give that to you. Uh, we don't always see um, the same. Let's move on to the next one. Ted Yates. Um. Yeah, I was younger for this next guy, so I sort of enjoyed him, even though he wasn't the greatest worker in the in the <laughs> in the business. But Ted Yates didn't care for Bulinski. Well, um, I know he's one of your favorites. Well, I know that that, that Polish lineage, uh, you know, and I can certainly understand it. And then, of course, he did team up with the Crusher. Ted is kind of an old school guy. I got that. He sent kind of a, a lengthy email and he said, I hope you don't mind. I'm going back, you know, back to the 1960s and 70s with uh, Bolinsky. He felt that Bo Bolinsky, Frank Shields, um, caught a real break. Uh, he had been a journeyman wrestler and had it not been for the nationwide truckers strike, uh, when he came in to the AWA as an out-of-work truck driver, and they paired him with the Crusher. So you had the two Polish guys, two uh, working-class heroes, as it were. Uh, Bo might not have uh, done so well in the AWA. Uh, from an in-ring standpoint, let me say this. He bumped a hell of a lot better than he delivered any offense. Um he and of course when he's with the crusher, you know, he was always the guy that, that took the fall. 
Uh, I mentioned before when he started feuding with Nick Bockwinkle, that was kind of the beginning of the end for the Bulls main event run here in the, in the Twin Cities area. But he was a journeyman, wrestled as Frank Shields, wrestled as the rest as the uh, the wrecker. I believe at one time he used the name uh, Bruiser Shields. I'm not sure. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, I, I could understand if you're looking for the uh, for the boom, 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 nonstop action back in the day, Bull was not your guy. Um, let's get on to our next one. Bill Crouch. Oh, um, Luscious Lars Anderson as an annoying personality. This is this is really interesting. And when I got this submission from Bill, former AWA wrestler Bill Crouch, our buddy, <clears throat> talking about Lars Anderson, Larry Hainini. And what Bill said was that Hainini or Anderson must have been a bully in school that he treated everybody like they were not in his league, that he was better than everybody. He talked down to everybody. And Bill was there, you know, and, and I had heard this too from, uh, from Buddy Rose, Paul Pershman, that uh, Lars Anderson was not the easiest guy to get along with. And he had an attitude. He's a big, strong, tough guy. He had an amateur wrestling background. He loved to fight. Uh, he got a break when he became one of the Anderson brothers, uh, allegedly. But I had heard that, too, that the attitude was kind of arrogant and, and over the top. And again, Crouch is right there, and he's taking his licks from uh, from Lars Anderson, and he's not a fan of Lars. And interestingly enough, Bill added, he said, Billy Robinson gets knocked on as a bully a lot. He says, I didn't see that. I saw it from Lars Anderson. So there you go. I, I think it's so fascinating when somebody with the the, the caliber of Bill steps yep. in and gives an opinion. Like to me, when Bill Crouch says it, to me, it, it definitely it it gets my attention because he was like you guys said, he was there and he witnessed it. So I, I find I absolutely love the fact that Bill Crouch weighed in on this. So thank you, Bill. Like I, I, I love that we got an opinion from Bill on this. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, he was there, he knows. And what's, what's exactly. the game for Bill Crouch to pull Lars Anderson out of the woodwork? You know, he could have said anybody else. So that yeah. lends to the credibility of it. And thanks, Bill. Uh, we love you, buddy. Okay. We got two more left on the list. The next one, uh, <laughs> oh man, I agree. Uh, if, if, if it's possible, a thousand percent. Mike Del Vecchio, <sighs> Silo Sam. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but the, the, I, I'm putting Silo Sam in the same category as uh, as a Rocky Mountain Thunder. But go go ahead, and I'll share a story. Uh, a little bit later. Well, Silo Sam at least had some experience behind him. Not that it did him a lot of good in the ring, but compared to Rocky Mountain Thunder, Silo Sam might as well be, you know, Jack Briscoe. Um, Silo Sam, again, the intent was, you know, we don't have Andre anymore. We don't have Hulk anymore. Uh, let's bring in this guy who's 17 feet tall and uh, 400 pounds, 
And, you know, if he can throw one forearm and maybe, you know, pick a guy up and slam him, we're good to go. No, you weren't good to go. Uh, he could barely pick up a guy. And <laughs> I love watching him. Joe's face when you're giving this description. I give you the full screen, but Joe's just sitting there like. Well, yeah, Joe knows. I mean, Joe Joe saw this guy firsthand. And uh, there's nothing you can say that hasn't been said already about Silo Sam. Um Pretty pathetic worker in the ring, and even the less astute wrestling fans knew they were being sold a bill of goods. Uh, so I completely agree with this selection. And again, this is you got you got a lot of votes. A lot of people said, "How about that horrible Silo Sam?" So Silo was brought in uh, as part of the annual Battle Royal run. Um, he had been in uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, if you remember, if you saw the movie, the scene where Pee-wee is with Silo's girlfriend up in the, the dinosaur head, and he get, chases uh, Pee-wee Herman after that. Silo Sam could not wrestle. He was a very tall guy. I wouldn't say he was big, because if you looked at his arms, his upper body, and his legs, he was actually thin, but uh, shall we just say he was rather robust here in the stomach. Now, yeah. you see the picture on the right. Perfect timing, Chris, because here's the story behind that. Silo Sam was a very tall man. I'm six foot three, and I was short next to him. Larry Nelson, I looked Larry straight in the eye. Larry was a tall guy. In this interview here, I was running camera for it. For whatever reason, well, I do know the reason. They wanted this guy to be larger than larger than life. They had him stand on a box to make him look even taller. It was like, really? Really? I, I, why? The guy couldn't cut a, a promo. I mean, you'd think that somebody that was actually in a movie, uh, maybe a few movies, I don't even know that, that, that he might have some comfort being on camera from the get-go, literally from when he walked into the studio to cut a series of promos to unfortunately having to watch some of his battle. I, yeah. You know, when, when I was a kid, they had these these uh, these clown toys that were filled with sand at the bottom, and then they were vital, and you would punch them, and the clown would you know bounce back up, but they had all the weight and the ass of the clown. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that might be what we had here with with uh, Silo Sam. I do have one question though: when we're putting the show together. We get, you know, you guys send pictures and we kind of have this whole process. Everybody gets one picture. You guys hate Silo Sam. He's so despised. Why did he get two pictures? Everybody else gets one picture. If you hate somebody, why do you give them multiple pictures? Chris, if a guy is 17 feet tall, you know, you, you might have to give him more than one picture just to get the, the entire the entire view, the the street view, the Google street yeah. view, 
of uh, of Silo Sam. I believe we have one more, uh, well, don't we? I just want to clarify. I don't hate Silo Sam. He just wasn't meant to be a professional wrestler, period. Fair okay. enough. So we're going to wrap this up, and I, I guess this guy might have been at the top of the list, Mick. I don't know. You uh, by far. But we had three people whose names are attached to Larry Land, Larry Zabisco, Mike Wilson, Matt Kessling, and John Jameson. Now, I got to start off by saying, I get it. I get it. Larry yeah. deserved to be on this list, and then I'll I'll finish off, Mick. Go ahead and take this over, but I'm going to finish off with what I had said earlier about some of these guys. Go ahead. Larry Zabisco, for the reasons that you would expect, uh, got a lot of votes. Uh, his, his delaying tactics, his stalling tactics in the ring, uh, I believe uh, one of the gentlemen, I believe John Jameson was the one who said, you know, Larry, when he opened up his mouth, you just wanted to slap the shit out of him. Uh, so everything that Larry Zabisco did was by design. And the fact that he got so many mm -hmm. people to say, I was so annoyed by this guy, whether he was calling us spudheads or going after you know, Ken Herbeck or whatever it is, Larry did his job magnificently. And, uh, you know, the most annoying, yes, but I tell you what, this guy's a gem, and he was a genius at what he did. Mick, you exactly hit on what I was, what I brought up earlier, and, and especially fits with Larry Zabisco, but um, throw in, uh, oh gosh, Jesse, throw in uh, Adrian, throw in uh, any number of guys on this list. The thing with Larry Zabisco, when he did a promo, Larry would say, are people going to hate me enough? Was I annoying enough? What did you think about it? And I would, I would reply to Larry. I go, yeah, they're going to hate you for it. He would just smile. The, yeah. the fact of the matter, Larry Zabisco's gimmick was by design. He got it. He, he got it. The fact that he is the most annoying personality on this list Larry would cherish that. He would relish in the fact that, hey, I got recognized for exactly what I was trying to do. And that was to be in an annoying prick and be in Larry land and have everybody hate you right on from him going into the ring. Yeah, we, we, we used to take bets inside the truck on the over and under from the time Larry first stepped on the ring apron until the time that the match was going to begin, what the over-under was, that was by design. Yeah, I, I feel like there are some, like, especially nowadays, even with the, the, the villains, the heels, fans find something to cheer about and, and, and enjoy. There was nothing about Larry Zabisco from the minute that he came through the curtain to the minute that he went back that you could get behind like every part of him. You just like, you, you just wanted to slap the shit out of him because you just, you hated him. He was annoying. He was a sniveling, you know, just conniving. Just, he was a snot and I hated him, but like you got, he was one of the bright spots of the AW. We, I think we appreciate him a whole lot more now for what he did when he was at his height. Kudos to Larry. 
yeah. absolutely deserves this uh, this uh, acknowledgement. The fact that it took Larry Zabisco to finally turn Nick Bockwinkle babyface is a testament to Larry's skill and ability to really just piss you off. Yeah. Well done, Z. And, and the annoying thing, like the stalling, it's like, my God, get in the ring. And he'd get out and you're like, fuck's sake, guy, get in the ring. And, and I think, yeah, that was, I mean, to me, that was one of the most annoying things. But God, you look back and you're like, oh, man, it just, he was such a master at it. So, yeah, yeah Larry Zabisco. Just the yeah. best. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get some shout-outs here, guys. We're going a little over an hour. I don't really care. It was a fun list. Good stuff to do. So if we're a couple minutes over, I people just won't see it on Twitter, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, let's give some shout-outs here, guys. Why don't you uh, – Mick, you normally go first, right? Yeah, I can do okay. this one. Uh, first of all, thank you, everybody, who submitted uh, your choices for the Annoying Wrestler list. Appreciate it very much. Uh, my shout-out goes to Steve Ogilvy, And Steve is way across the world in New Zealand. And a uh, great wrestling fan, loyal to a fault. And Steve, appreciate you, buddy, 100%. Uh, my shout-out this week goes to a place that I've only heard about. Uh, I've never been. I've heard great things about it. This little place in South St. Paul called the Croatian Hall. You've never been there. Get there uh, from all hearsay, from what I've been told. And I've been told oh, yeah. you walk in there and you can get a professional wrestling conversation within minutes. So the Croatian Hall, someday, someday, I hmm. promise I will make it down there. Chubik, you haven't been to the Croatian Hall like Jerry Blackwell wasn't ever at a buffet. <laughs> Prove it. So, Let's, let's prove, prove it. Go on from there. All right. It, it's not like he walks into the Croatian. I was at the Croatian Hall with him once, and believe me, everybody's like, "Who's who? Who are you?" No, I'm kidding. But I mean, maybe I was just. I, I think I was just dreaming that. I it, it wasn't real. Hey, I'm, somebody that looked like me. Yeah, yeah. It pro- yeah, I believe the name was. Uh, uh, it was Croatian Joe, not Polish Joe. Croatian Joe. Yes. They went to the Polish hall. Um, and uh, finally, I'm going to give a shout out to my my co-worker, Steve Thompson. Every time I work with him at WCCO Radio, if people don't know, uh, yeah, I, I work at WCCO Radio, producer, on air, do a bunch of stuff. We are always talking old school wrestling. And he is such a fan of what we do. And every time that we're on the air, he's always making sure to talk about the podcast and make sure that everybody knows that if you want to talk about old school wrestling, like this is what you do. So uh, Steve, thank you so much. Uh, I've known him for many, many years, more years than I'd like to admit. And he's just, he's a real good dude. So uh, shout out to you, Steve. Okay. So I, I do want to remind everybody rate review, subscribe, any of your podcast platforms. I'm going to put it up there. YouTube, Spotify, uh apple music wherever you get your podcast uh just go ahead and you know subscribe comment you know all all that stuff it really does help us out we also have one more show and then we're going to take a couple weeks off we're not going away podcast is not gonna we're not gonna stop but we're gonna take a couple weeks off 
because we're just going to kind of recharge our batteries and, you know, Mick's going to go out to uh, Cauliflower Alley. Joe, I know you got a few things. You know, you're going to spend some time in, in northern Minnesota. I got some work obligations th- that are going to kind of take me away from doing the podcast. So uh, we got one more next week and then we're going to take a couple weeks off and we will be back on the Tuesday after Labor Day. I just want to let everybody know it's just it's kind of just stepping away so we can take care of some other business and we'll be back. There you go. And uh, everybody enjoy your week. We've got a fun show coming up next week and it's a show where you should subscribe to YouTube because we got a lot of pictures coming up on the next show. So there you have it. Hey Mick, by the way, you don't look all bad in focus. Hey, that's great, Joe, but you know what you do. (laughs) 